subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always, my lovely co-host and editor. Hello, I am Rex. And we are back at it again here for the third week of Yamazaki Month. How are you doing today, Rex? Oh yeah, it is fun. Doing pretty good for the most part. Apparently not keeping track of the weeks. Apparently not. Get together, man. Like you gotta get keep oh, your shut up. track of time on track. You can't let your train your fly of off into the track. clouds. <sighs> Did you get the reference? No. Please. It was an ultra, it was it was it was an ultra Q episode reference. Whoa, that's crazy. Are you being sarcastic with me? Was it like one of the last two episodes, or am I just not remembering well enough? What do you mean? A Vulture Q. I don't, I feel like it was in the middle. Yeah, maybe I am crazy. Oh, wait, the train episode with M1. So you didn't? Oh my god. God. Such a fake fan you are. Hey, I've seen Ultra Q, most of it. I've still got two episodes left. I keep forgetting to put them on. I should do so, that soon. But before we go into that, how are you, man? How how how's it going? How's oh, life? I'm doing fine. It's just been a little bit of a stressful-ish week with some life commitments that are kind of time sensitive that are mildly annoying. But outside of that, pretty good. That's good. That's good. Yourself. Um, it, it's been fast. fast. I, I, yeah, it's been really fast. Um, honestly, I think I'm so busy that I don't know what like day it is. Like the <laughs> idea of a, the, the idea of a weekend doesn't exist. Cause well, for uh, us recording it's Saturday. Well, yeah. Thank you for that. You're but welcome. no, like, but between between recordings and prepping for those, and like writing and and editing and live streaming and uh, like researching and and working my other job and sleeping and whatnot, like everything just kind of clumps together eventually. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have like I sleep for an hour and a half and then I go to work on days that I record like. It doesn't feel like a whole day's passed, you know? It's it's just it's weird. It's weird. Huh. I see. So yeah, it's it's just one of those things that it you know, I'll I will eventually figure it out after I get all hundred thousand projects I'm working on done. <laughs> I, right. I, I'm truly the person who's never not busy. Yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I've been doing great. Um, you know, my, my short film, uh, got posted without my permission or my approval. Goofy. Um, 
but it got reposted by like Toho Kingdom and whatnot, which was actually really, really, really cool to see. Um, I wasn't expecting that. So like, there's been some fun stuff. I uh, got interviewed about my short film, which was really cool. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's been good. Um, just kind of, you know, a lot of, I've done a little tokusatsu stuff, but I'm going to keep that for the question I'm about to ask you. Cause you brought Ooh. up how you wanted to watch the last two episodes of ultra Q you needed. I want to mm-hmm. know what other tokusatsu have you watched since last recording? Well, I've mostly been going on with Kamen Rider Agito. Mm-hmm. I'm over halfway through the show at episode 29. Was the nice, last nice. I watched today. Trying to keep up with Blazer. Still need to watch the episode that just came out a couple hours ago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's been pretty good so far. Pretty, pretty banging on so far. <laughs> nice. And then outside of that, in terms of movies... Haven't watched too much Tokusatsu. I've mostly been <laughs> watching Battle Royale and Beat Takeshi movies. But okay. I did for for better or for worse went to go see the Meg Two yesterday. Okay, I haven't watched it yet. I didn't like the first Meg. What's your just like brief thoughts on the Meg to the trench? And would it be something I liked if I didn't like the first one? So as someone who also did not particularly like the first one, Meg two is also garbage, but but garbage. (laughs) Now I say that, but I also went in knowing that I wasn't so like, I wasn't disappointed. It was exactly what I was expecting. That's that's kind of how I went with Meg 2. The first Meg, I'm like, this looks like garbage, but I might enjoy it for the stupidity of it. And mm-hmm. like to an extent I did, but like it could have been it could have just been more entertaining. But I really felt that in Meg 2. I there's maybe I I kind of liked Jason Statham and the relationship he has with like the little girl that was in the first one of I think, mm-hmm. and then and then like that was okay. That's like the only thing I think that kept me awake in the movie okay. for like most of the runtime. And then the last thirty minutes is mildly entertaining i guess there's only Mm -hmm. there's really only about five minutes of the movie that i actually enjoyed and and all of that is in is within the last 30 minutes oh lovely yeah some some scenes are i i'd argue some scenes in the middle like some of the action when they're underwater in the middle of the movie is downright incomprehensible (laughs) Like transform Michael Bay Transformers level of incomprehensible. Honestly, yeah, I like I oh, could not tell great. what was going on for a couple of scenes. It's mainly because it's just like when they're underwater, dark. it's really dark. Like I get why it's dark, but also I like being able to see in movies. Believe it or not. Okay. I go to a movie to watch it, <laughs> not just to hear it. If I wanted to just hear it, I'd watch. I'd put on Twenty Fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so I got two questions, and then we can go ahead and move on here, because I don't want to dive too deep into the uh, trenches I, of the Meg. I understood that joke, but Thank you. 
Um, so the first one is the first Meg was very obviously a Chinese blockbuster. Oh. <laughs> does this follow suit? Again, don't don't say spoilers, but like, does yes. it follow suit? It does. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yes, it was very very overt. Even my friends noticed it. Okay. And my second question is, should we expect the announcement of the Meg 3 D? D. Oh, God. (laughs) Obviously, that's it. Probably. I I would hope they don't do the Meg 3D, but do you think we're going to see a third film? 3D already did that. Mm, I mean the the Meg three bites in. Oh my god! <laughs> I hate these sometimes. <laughs> god, I mean, I guess it's I, I guess it's possible. <laughs> it it okay. wouldn't shock me if it got announced. It, it like it would not shock me. Okay. I guess it just depends on how it does this weekend at the box office. Really, we'll see if Warner finally has a movie that does better than they thought. I mean, they did or just as good Barbie. as they thought. They did at just this have point. Barbie. Oh, that's true, Barbie. That's true. I forget that Warner had Barbie. Yeah, but it's, it's not I mean, the only thing making the money at the moment. Thank God. Did you watch anything else? Or I may have watched one other movie, but before we get into that, what have you watched? Um. So this was a pretty light week for me, to be honest. Um, right. Nathan is at Gen Con right now as of this recording. So, so we no weren't able to Ultraman 80. No Ultraman 80. Um, but I did. So a while back, I watched School Live the movie. Right. And there was a sequel made, and I bought that the same time I bought the first one. What I didn't realize is it's actually a miniseries. It's four episodes. Oh. So... I put it in expecting like an hour and 30 minute movie and I come to find out it's three 25 minute episodes and one 30 minute episode. <laughs> so I was watching that, but I also have been writing articles and working on the magazine and like working on scripts and interviews and whatnot. So I didn't have a lot of time. So it that 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 short mini series of four episodes ended up taking me from last recording all the way up to today to actually finish. Right. Um and then I was able to to uh squeeze in Helldriver. Ooh. Um the Yoshihiro Nisha, Nikam, uh, Naka, Nikamura. Nikamura. Nishi. N- Nishimura. Yoshihiro yeah. Nishimura, Nishimura. Oh God, I can't speak. <laughs> the Yoshimura. <laughs> Let me try that one more time. Yoshihiro Nishimura. The Yoshihiro Nishimura movie. Yes, yes. There we go. I don't know why I had a stroke. I was saying his name fine earlier. Um, I got to watch that. Um, which was also a zombie movie. Honestly, like the last handful of stuff I've watched has just been zombie movies like Wild Zero and Miss Zombie and <laughs> School Again, uh, 
Gecko School Live, another story that's the sequel miniseries that's all about zombies and right. Driver is also a zombie movie. Like, Don't spoil it, it for me, but on a scale of one to ten, how insane would you say Hell Driver is? It's not as insane as Yakuza Weapon. Yakuza Weapon's pretty crazy. Okay. Um, I would put this at so like from from the sushi typhoon movies I've seen. Um, I mean, there's a lot of movies around this time that are like this style. I mean, uh, even uh, Takashi Miike did uh, what's it called? Um, Yakuza Apocalypse. Yakuza Apocalypse, which was very much like that that genre. Um, So out of the Sushi Typhoon films, I've only watched two of them, Hell Driver and Yakuza Weapon. Um, There's a handful of other ones that I I didn't watch. Um, There's Mm -hmm. a Sion Sono film, Cold Fish. I haven't seen that. Um, And I don't think that's even available. Um, Or yeah, it looks like it is. It looks like uh, Cold Fish is. Um, that's a good movie. You feel Coldfish? awful after watching it. Yes, huh. you you genuinely feel awful after watching it, but it's a good movie. Interesting. Um, so I liked Hell Driver more than Yakuza Weapon, but Yakuza Weapon's kind of a crazy movie that's really, really over the top. Um, right. I liked it more than Robo Geisha as well, which is in that same ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was better than that. I'm trying to think here. What else I've watched that's kind of that genre? I mean, like Machine Girl, I thought Machine Girl was better. Um, Rise of the Machine Girls wasn't as good as Hell Driver. Um, God, I'm I'm kind of blanking here at at what all because well, uh, i've heard that hell driver is absolutely mental <laughs> it's it's a little crazy like you've got alien things you've got zombie things you've got swords and guns and don't and spoil pol- any of the actual true craziness and politicians and like the stuff in those but uh right because I, I saw Tokyo Gore Police, like, a, I want to say a year or two ago. And that was, which is from Nishimura, and that is absolutely wild, that movie. Yeah, I I still need to see that one. Um, and, like, Mutant Girl Squad, um, I don't have either of those. Dead Ball, I don't have. I need to watch all of those. Mm-hmm. Um I'm still very new to that genre. Right. I will say this. It's a genre that while I will watch it, I have to space out what I when I watch them. Right. Because I watched Machine Girl and Rise of the Machine Girls very close together. And that was a lot for me to take and handle. Like, it was just like, it's so over the top that it's like, I don't know if I can like consistently watch this and 
enjoy it. Right. Um, just because like it, it, it is crazy. It's crazy. It's ludicrous at points. Mm. But I can't like I, I, I just I can't watch it for a long. It's like how. I can't watch Ultraman a lot at a time because it ends up getting repetitive. Mm-hmm. And while, yes, all of these movies are very, very crazy. I also like. Eventually, you gar- start to see like the what the trope is. Yeah. And I've already figured out what the trope for all of these are. So for me, it's like, okay, where's the crazy sword fight and the crazy gun fight? And, you know, is there a kaiju-esque thing in this movie? Mm-hmm. Um, where's, where's the big sexual monster? Yes. Where's the uh, blood splurting on everybody and on the camera? Where's the um, guy with a gun for an appendage? Right. And all of that, like, is just something that I've just come to expect to see. Right. And I just, like, especially this time around, like, I was like, okay, let's just keep marking off all of the tropes. And and that's not to say that Hell Driver is just a movie full of tropes, because there are some, there's actually some really good stuff in it. Mm-hmm. But I've watched so much now that it's like, okay, where's this? Where's that? Where's, you know? Mm-hmm. And it will affect. Um, I actually just ordered uh, Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl. And I have Alien versus Ninja on the way. Um, that's mostly because I just found out that all of Funimation's titles are seemingly out of print. Right. Which is horrible because I was missing like four of them. So I went and I just bought most of them tonight. I still don't have the assassination classroom duology and I don't have Death Note uh, light up the new world. Those Mm -hmm. are the only two Funimation titles I don't own. Mm -hmm. Um, That now I need to see if I can track down, not for the prices on Amazon, because the prices for assassination classroom on uh is i want to say i checking it here 150 for two movies on blu-ray and i'm not doing that and then death note light up new light up the new world is not even available like you can't even purchase it right um there is one oh there is one here that's used for 23 dollars oh there's one for 19 Stop! I I've already spent too much money. Yeah, don't 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 do that, man. Not today. wasn't it last? Oh, and I still have to buy a meatball machine. Um, but I have been buying more stuff. Um, I actually just got in almost all of the IDW trade paperbacks. Um, I don't know if I've said it on here yet, but I've decided that I I'm gonna go back and try and locate all of the stuff I'm missing for Godzilla comics. Um, I already have all of Gamera's comics. I I actually knocked that out in a day. Um, I at the old place I used to work for the all four Gamera comics came in for about five bucks a piece. 
So I, I bought them that night and they're out of the way. And I have the reprint from the Arrow video set, so I quite literally have everything. Um, yeah. Ultraman's a little different. I'll get to Ultraman like later. I'm not too worried. Um, there's not a whole lot. There's two. There's three series from Marvel. One series from an indie publisher, and like three trade paperbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not too worried. I actually, um, a friend of mine gave me some of the last Dark Horse comics I was needing. So now I'm down to needing just. Uh, I'm down to just needing three Dark Horse comics. And I will have everything Dark Horse put out for Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Which is really cool. All I'm missing is Godzilla King of the Monsters issue 8, which is titled Godzilla vs. Everybody. And one of my friends has a spare copy he's going to ship to me. So I've got that taken care of. I have the entire original line, um, which just leaves me with Dark Horse Comics issue 11. And Dark Horse Classics, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Issue 5. Mm-hmm. So, like, for me, that's a big deal because I grew up with the Dark Horse stuff. And the fact that I'm about to have every trade paperback, every comic, every variant, I have the full collection. Right. And from there, I'm probably going to go all in um, getting a lot of the, like, Godzilla IDW stuff done. like. Try to finish up Half Century War and Oblivion and Rage Across Time and and buy some of the trade paperbacks that are out of print now and, and whatnot. Um, I was told that a lot of the Matt Frank cover arts are actually really difficult to find. Huh. So we're going to see how that ends up happening. It sounds like that they've, for some reason, became collector's items. So it might be something where I'm just going to be on the lookout constantly um to get them a friend of mine did um come across two of the more recent idw comics and he's gonna i'm gonna buy them off of him so like i'm still working on it but it'll that's gonna be my next big push um i also got the movie i am a hero which is another zombie movie um that's from princess blades director am i right i believe so um and and then I do have a few other movies on the way. Um, I did. I've ordered two of those Funimation titles. And then like next paycheck, I'm going to get Meatball Machine because, you know, we talked about it and I want to get it now. <laughs> um, You're welcome. So, yeah, I I've been kind of on a binge of purchasing a lot of this stuff. Um just so like I'm I have it all and I'm I'm set, I'm prepped, I'm good to go. Um hopefully at least. So that's that's all I've watched. I'm hoping next recording I've watched a little more. Um but like I'm I'm working on I've got two or three scripts in the works right now. I'm working on finishing one short film that has just been sitting waiting to get some lines recorded and some audio put in. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing really tremendous. It's like an old project. I just want to get it completed. I'm working on some bonus features for a company, um, which is Ooh. pretty exciting. Um, 
I'm working with the company to license something. I'm, you know, I'm doing Kaiju Weekly every week. I actually just got um, put as an honorary member of Monsters with Attitude, which was really exciting. Um, that's run by Eric Stolp and, and uh, Adrian, uh, also known on YouTube as uh, Godzilla Train, I believe, 1009, and then uh, Bearded Kaiju Reviews. Um, but they have, they've got guests that come on, uh, Joe, also known as Married to Kaiju, Michael from Kaiju Ramen, um, my friend, he, he's on there a lot. And yeah, so, you know, they, they run a channel and they, they talk about collecting and movies and, and the whole shabam. Um, and I'm, I'm an honorary member now, I guess you could say. So that's pretty (laughs) exciting. Um, and then I've been working on articles for Kaiju Ramen and articles for other publications. It's still a little early to talk about. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And then, like, I've been producing content for for Kaiju Ramen's YouTube channel and content for my YouTube channel and and all of that. So yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm busy as always, and I have my my ten hour job that I do five days out of the week. So finding time for everything just kind of, you know, it's, it's few and far between, but I make it work. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's on, like, that's all the Toku I watch. So. Oh, so wait, did we, did we not watch the same movie this week? Oh no. Did you not watch hell driver? Sadly not. Ironically, the Blu-ray is sitting right in front of me with Yakuza Weapon as well, but I've watched neither of them yet. Oh, so... Well, yeah, that wouldn't work anyway, because it's a Yamazaki month. Oh, that's so true. Right, um... God, what... what, And I still haven't watched Always Sunset Free yet. God damn it. So, what are we covering? Well... I might have neglected to mention that I watched Parasite Part 1 as well. Well, okay, so the reason that's not on my list is because I've already watched that, but I I did... A few weeks ago. I did, and and I actually just watched it today. Oh, that's crazy. Should we do an episode on Parasite Part 1? No, we should do an episode on Parasite Part 2. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, should we give a rundown of what the first one is so people know what we're talking about, and then we can go like watch it and then come back? Sure. Let's let's cover Parasite Part One because I still need to watch Parasite Part Two eventually. Okay. Okay. So a group of people are in the Arctic and they discover a spaceship, and they find this body in the spaceship. And they bring it back to their, like, base. Uh, Outpost 30, uh, 31. Hey, wait a minute. That's not that's not Parasite Part 1. That's that's John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, stupid me. Oh, I'm yes, sorry. Yes, you are. I got them I got them mixed up. You are an idiot. Could you be a little nice? No. You were just stupid. Dang. How did you get That's them rough. confused? Well, like they're, they're like similar. Uh, they're a little similar. No, it's like if the demo gorgon and the thing had a baby. No, 
you're just stupid. Oh. Well, that's it, everybody. So thank you so much for listening. And as always, please remember to not make King Kong make a monkey out of you, G-fans. Oh, sorry. That's my YouTube outro. Not not this outro. Um, What are we doing? I just said Parasite Part 1. Oh, okay, yeah, so we're going to cover the movie Parasite Part 1, directed by Takashi Yamazaki. So, Mr. Rex, how do you want to do this one? You want to start with some background? Because there's actually an interesting background to this movie that I found really cool deep diving into. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I think we should introduce our listeners to what Parasite is. Okay. So, okay, are you more... So it's based off of a manga. A manga that was in a a magazine. Right. Do you want to talk... I mean, the the manga ran for five years, from 1990 to 1995. Well, 1998 to 95. Because it started in 88 in the morning open Zokan. But then I believe that magazine shut down, I want to say, in 89. So then it switched over to the monthly afternoon from Kodansha. Okay, so I'm going to let you take over here. Run. I'm going to let you take over here and talk about it a bit. (laughs) Parasite, or in Japanese, Kiseiju, meaning parasitic beasts, is essentially a Japanese sci-fi body horror manga written by Hitoshi Iwaki. That, like we said, published from 88 to 1995 for roughly, I want to say, 10 volumes, roughly which is somewhere I, around like 60 to 70 chapters, I think, I believe. And I was told it's like 11, like it takes about 1,100 issues of each publication to get the full manga. Probably. I'm not terribly familiar with like how, with like the magazine publication of manga. Because I, 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 I don't buy whatever. Anyways, yeah. So it essentially follows a a high school student named Shinichi Izumi who is these parasitic aliens are taking over the world and he essentially merges with one partly. And yeah. <laughs> um it's it was it's a very popular series that has roughly about 25 million copies in circulation and is fairly well regarded even winning a Seiyun award in 1996 for be for the best manga category in terms of adaptations it in 2005 new line cinema acquired the film rights to yes. the IP, but ultimately never really did anything with it now so, i I have some details on that. Do you oh. do you have details or do you want me to I'm curious. I don't okay. think I have the exact details you do. So. so New Line bought the rights, right? Yes. And Jim Henson's company was going to produce it ah, as right. a co-production with uh with the company Angry Films and producer Don Murphy of that company. That's right. Yeah. Now, here's something that's really cool. 
the film was set to be directed by Juon director Takashi Shimizu. Oh. He was going he was uh set to direct the film, but I did not they, hear that part. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was in the initial reporting straight from uh Variety and uh Jim Henson oh, wow. company. Mm-hmm. Uh they just couldn't get it off the ground, however. And right. it just ended up on like it just laid dormant. They were actually actively developing it up until the rights lapsed in 2013. Damn. <laughs> um, they were trying to get it off the ground, but eventually the rights just lapsed. And what's funny is the day the rights lapsed, a bidding war started against <laughs> all of the major studios in Japan. And yeah. obviously the largest company in, in Japan for film production is going to win that. And mm-hmm. Toho won the rights to produce their own adaptation which they announced in November of 2013. Right. Around the same time as well, pretty much the same day that the live action films were announced, an anime adaptation called Parasite the Maxim was announced the same day. Mm -hmm. And it would air roughly like, it would begin airing about a month before today's film came out. And ended about a month before the second film came out. And, and then following that, Parasite Reversi, a spin-off manga, came out in 2018 and just ended in 2021. And a Korean a Korean adaptation is in the works from Netflix. Interesting. I, I wonder how that'll be. And it's funny that a Korean adaptation from Netflix is coming out because... There's also a Netflix adaptation of Juon Origins, mm-hmm. um, which was a Takashi Shimizu project. Brilliant. And to, hear, and to hear that they're doing what could have been a Takashi Shimizu film, I think is really cool, too. I mean, obviously, um, different production companies involved. It's right. Just Netflix is the network. <laughs> right. Um, but when when they announced the film's production in November of 2013, they'd also announced Takashi Yamazaki as the director for this film. Mm-hmm. And that was partly due to Yamazaki is kind of known for his adaptations. Um, I mean, he did Space Battleship Yamato for Toho um, just yeah. three years prior to the announcement that did very well. Mm-hmm. Um and he, and he, he would had eventually done... go on to do like the Dragon Quest and Stand by Me Doraemon movies, correct? Which and came uh, out after this, right? And Ghosts, uh, Ghost Book, and I believe there was another movie. I mean, Lupin the Third, and then he also did the Eternal Zero, which was an adaptation of a book. Right? Yeah, he, he's done um, a couple book adaptations, I believe. Correct. There's uh, uh his film. Hang on, I had to write it out. The Great War of Archimedes. Archimedes. Uh, that one was an adaptation of the same author uh, that wrote The Eternal Zero, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. I believe um, you're right, yeah. So, like, he, he's done a lot of adaptations. Um, I mean, yeah, and this he's adapting was... Godzilla to the modern day. <laughs> well, or, is, is well, it modern? Not modern day in the sense of the film's modern. True. Um. So no, and but this was one of his bigger films to to really get that going, and it's actually 
um, you know, there's there's this rap against anime live action adaptations that uh, they're not good. Uh, looking at like Dragon Ball Evolution, obviously, right? <laughs> um, but Parasite, for all its worth, has a lot of good press around it. Yeah, I mean, I read that there were some people back when it's there were concerns about it when it originally premiered, and you know there was some people that didn't like it very much, but at the same time, there was a lot of positive reaction overall on social media. Right. Right. Um, But before we get too ahead of that, so production for the film was about five months. Um, So they announced Yamazaki in November and it came out. It was screened at the Tokyo International Film Festival to close out the uh, whole thing October 30th. So they probably filmed it in January. So they announced it in November probably finished the script by December, started filming, uh, because when they announced it, they also had announced, I believe, if I remember correctly, Shota Sometani, um, the lead actor, I think he yeah. was announced with Yamazaki as well. So yeah, and I they, think had, they announced Ai Hashimoto as well. So they, they had to have had the script done, so quite literally, as the moment Toho got the rights, they basically called Yamazaki and said... Oh, I don't doubt that. start development on a parasite adaptation and go from there. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I imagine he probably accepted fairly quickly, given the fact that he is a, he is apparently a fan of the property having essentially been reading it since its publication. Right. And it's kind of nice because you can tell that Parasite was a dormant franchise that oh, just yeah. had no life because its owners couldn't do anything with it. And it, yeah. it, it's really nice to see that Yamazaki got to be one of the main heads behind a spearhead of like creating content for this this right. franchise. Yeah, and I mean, you know, this film, I guess, essentially allowed for an anime adaptation to come out around the same time. And then since that, you know, as stated just prior, there was a spin-off manga and like a South Korean adaptation in the works, you know? Right. So, no, this this film did a lot. Um, during production, Yamazaki made it very clear he wanted to push the rating. So they, they were told they had to do a PG-12 rating, which is basically the equivalent of a PG-13 in Japan. It's a bit more of an R rating in Japan. It's it's like it's kind of in between, I'd say, because like with like a PG thirteen in America, you could, a a G rated film in Japan can still kind of cross that bound in America, right? But essentially, so PG twelve is allowing teenagers to go see it. Yeah, because. Shin Kamen Rider had basically the R rating. What do you remember the correct title for that rating? In in Japan, it was a PG twelve Shin Kamen Rider. Was it? Yeah, it, it's it's one of two Kamen Rider films that are PG twelve, or maybe three. Okay, because Kamen so, Rider the next is also PG twelve. 
Interesting. Okay. Because Yamazaki, if I remember correctly from his interview. And PG 12 has a normal rating for J horror films as well in Japan. Okay. So Yamazaki wanted to push the PG 12 rating as far as he could without mm. going to the next level, which is basically. Yeah, without being gross out, essentially. Right. And so Yamazaki, like, went through and, like, communicated with the people the the committee that rates the films and like found exactly like specifically he highlighted how you couldn't show too much of a mutilated body um if you showed the mutilis showed the mutilization of a body realistically that would push the film too far right so he went and deliberately tried to not do that but still do it enough so that it could be as as like extreme as possible without basically making it so there was no audience Mm -hmm. yeah so that being said um as during that five months of production he actually got a mocap artist to do the motion capture for miggy the the parasite the the main side character of the film that's attached to our main character that Mm -hmm. was actually all uh motion captured which I thought was really cool to hear that Yamazaki did that, hmm. um, which does give me a little hopes that maybe oh, Godzilla. Uh, p- potential. Because <laughs> that's what they did. Men. That's mm, what like they that. did at for Shin Godzilla was motion capture. Yeah, yeah with Mansai Nomura playing him. So maybe they bring him back. I th- that would be really cool. That'd be cool if Mansai Nomura got a chance to play Godzilla again. <laughs> so you know i i saw that as something and i wanted to highlight that and bring up how that you know to me that's like a great a good sign that maybe yamazaki could bring that back for for maybe. minus one knowing yamazaki i feel like he would do that as well i feel like it's possible mm-hmm. we know if ride had any mocap i believe that was all cg like just okay. animated okay but the filming for the mocap lasted two days. I don't know if I mentioned that already, but they did all of yeah. it in two days. Makes sense. I mean, and it was the done... Ghidorah actors only were on, on like King of the Monsters for about three days. So, Right. And if I remember correctly, I believe the voice actor for Miggy ended up being the one to do the motion capture, which was really cool. Oh, damn. Um, so following the screening at the Tokyo International Film Festival, the film ended up being released November 29th of 2014, and it actually did really well at the box office. It opened at number one, and by the end of its uh, $2 billion yen gross, if you adjust that for inflation, it ended up making about $18 million uh, in USD. So that's that's actually pretty good. Um. <laughs> It's not Shin Godzilla numbers, but nonetheless, no, it's still... A lot of things aren't Shin Godzilla numbers. This is true. <laughs> um, and as we've already mentioned, Parasite Part 2 does exist. It was announced basically around the same time as the first one. It was always planned to be a duology. I and mean, they, they were filmed at the same... They were filmed back-to-back. Right. They were filmed tangent... Basically together... Um, the only thing that wasn't done was the CG for the sequel. Um, yeah. 
uh, Yamazaki because they, they wanted to make the deadline for the first film. Correct. And Yamazaki mentioned in an interview that the work on the first one helped them perfect the animation for the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, it helped them figure out how to do that without the troubles of the first one nearly as much. Right. Um, I mean, from what I was reading and I think listening, Yamazaki was more directly involved with the visual effects of this film than some of his previous films, apparently. Right. He, he Yamazaki was all over this film. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. I mean, he he co-wrote it. I think he actually did write it. He didn't do the screenplay. The screenplay was from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um he was the director and then he was the special effects director. He actually also handpicked the artist that would do the end credit theme song. Um, like he was all over it, which that also brings me a ton of hope for minus one, knowing that Yamazaki was very passionate about parasite. And, Mm. you know, I think we ended up getting something pretty obvious that he was passionate and interested. Right. (laughs) So with that being said, unless you have any more like production, pre-production development stuff, I'm ready to dive right into this movie. I'm in agreement. So the film starts off with kind of a cliche. Um, It's it's a narration of what would happen if you would reduce the population of humanity. And there's some some stock footage of ice caps melting and other events in nature pollution all that sort and it's it's a very thanos like opinion it's basically saying if you reduce the human population even a percentage would you see that in nature mm. um i'm not saying that this was inspired by thanos because obviously this came out before thanos did um, at least in in pop culture, modern pop culture in the movies. But I, I was like, okay, that's that you know, that's a very, you know, Godzilla King of the Monsters, Thanos opinion. Hmm. But this narration isn't just like exposition, and we're gonna get to that later, much, much later. But this this opening intro is actually very important to what we end up with. And I loved that. I love that. It it really grabs your attention. And by the end of the movie, you realize why it was there. And it just makes it so much more like cool. I mean, it helps that it's got Naoki Sato's score backing it as well. Right. And from here, we go into. we're, We're thrown right in like we don't have like an introduction. We're just thrown right into these things floating in the water. And Rex, mm-hmm. if you want to, I'm going to hand this over to you a little bit to kind of go off of this. Alrighty. So we see these little blue pod-like things in the water. They, and there's a whole, whole lot of them. And essentially they invade humanity, getting on shipping containers and all the sorts. And we see a couple of them go into people's houses and we see them go through a guy's ear into his brain, essentially taking over his body. These are our parasites (laughs) during the, 
during this, we're sh- we're introduced to Shinichi, Shinichi Izumi, who's sleeping with his with his earpods in, and when the parasite tries to invade his body, it just can't enter. Waking him, waking him up, tries to fight it, but it eventually attacks his hand and merges with that. And from here, he kind of freaks out, and then uh, Shinichi's mother comes in and is like, "What? What's going on?" And he's like, "A snake went into my arm." And there's this funny thing. So he wrapped an, a power cord around his arm to like prevent it from going any further. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when his mother goes over to, like, look at it, the thing's gone. And she's, right. like, she brushes it off as if it was a, like, dream. Yeah, and he just got tangled in, in his earbuds. <laughs> and from here, we're, we basically fast forward to the morning. But before we see what happened with Shinichi, we go back to the first person. And we get a kill. <laughs> yeah. So for from this, when I first watched it, I was like, okay, so this is basically the thing. Like it's a thing that goes into a person's body and then it can like morph the body and then it eats people. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very much what happens in, uh, you know, yeah. the thing. Yeah. But this movie also doesn't entirely follow that. There are a few things in the film that's like, okay, this is kind of like the thing. I mean, I'm sure in I, I have not seen this film, but I imagine it's probably more taking from invasion of the body snatchers rather than necessarily the thing. I've only watched the original. And See, I have I have not seen either, so I could be completely wrong on that. So if they took inspiration from the original, this is like turned up to like 10. <laughs> um, to me, this is nothing like the original Body Snatchers. Um, but I haven't seen the 80s one, which I guarantee you has more gore. And mm-hmm. it's more well known to my understanding. So mm-hmm. I guarantee you that that's got it might be a little closer to that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, <laughs> the guy's whole face turns into a demogorgon. <laughs> yeah, and it's I I I doubt this happened, but I do wonder if the demogorgon was influenced by this because they look very similar. Oh yeah, when like when he so in the scene he essentially eats the parasite makes the guy eat his wife's face <laughs> essentially. And like when he closes his mouth, it it's just straight up looks like the Demogorgon. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> this, this is a it's a design cool. that fo- like appears throughout the movie as well. It's it's kind of like their base form, right? And throughout all of it, I was like, man, this this like this is the Demogorgon. <laughs> So I, you know, it was very interesting to see that. Um, and honestly, when I first watched this, like that first death was kind of like, whoa, like. I, I was kind of shocked by it. Um, I was surprised by how quick it happened. Yes. And the fact that they actually showed her 
had just being taken off. Like it's not, it's it's not over the top violent. Like you don't see a ton of like blood splatters coming out. It's just it's simple and like surprising because I wasn't expecting a gory movie. <laughs> right, and I you could tell that Yamazaki knew what he was doing because um during that scene the parasite eats the head and then the shot basically is still like it doesn't turn until into a still shot but it it lingers on that just for a brief moment and if i remember correctly there's no music it's no, silent there's no music in this scene and like yamazaki perfectly like shocked you in this scene like mm. you you see it, you witness it, you experience it, and he lets you just soak that in for just a brief second. Yeah, and then the title card comes in. <laughs> Correct, and we immediately it's cut. Very so, simple. right, because it's it's just white text with mm-hmm. the Japanese kanji, if I remember like correctly. A slight, like it's like a slight, I guess, slight bit of three D to it, but even then, it's like really subtle. It's really subtle and it it just it's obvious Yamazaki wanted to kind of give you a little whiplash here. You go from this crazy thing to a very basic thing. Yeah. And then letting the story say, letting it the what just happened sink in essentially. Right. Which is very genius. Like that I like that was very well done. That was a very well done kill and a very well done establishing shot right. essentially. Because that basically, that sets up the whole problem for the entire movie. There's parasites that are taking over people's bodies, and they're eating and they're people. eating humans. Yeah. Your problem is established within the first, what What would you say, maybe three minutes? Five, five minutes. Five minutes? So, and and the film doesn't, and even before that, like, what's very cool about this is Yamazaki opened with a voiceover about how humanity's the problem. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to why the parasites are the problem. So you see both sides of this argument that becomes like a political back and forth. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the most genius things about this movie is how it, it uses its themes and its problems to create a discussion back and forth. That mm-hmm. up until the end, you don't really know where to side because both sides are giving valid reasons for why the other should subside. Mm-hmm. And what Yamazaki I mean, it's not even necessarily about which do you want to, which should you side with? It's more just like it's it's a comparison between the two, parallel, right. if you will, and it's. Humanity's killing the planet. They're the monsters. And then you have the parasites are taking over people's bodies and eating people. They're the monsters. Right. But I mean, which one the main theme throughout of the film is what what is what does it mean to be human and ah uh, who's the real parasite? Right. And who's the monster? Because they Specifically, they highlight in the movie the term monster and how Migi 
thinks that that's humanity. And that right. statement comes back up a little later on that humanity are the monsters, not the parasites. Mm -hmm. But I think we're jumping a little too, too far <laughs> ahead. But that just that's that's like a a, a shimmer of what we're going to be talking about here, because there is a lot here that is really interesting to talk about. Yeah. So from here, we, we are introduced to Shinichi waking up, you know, eating breakfast, getting ready for school, his mother and all of that. We're, we're getting establishing shots and establishing, you know, lines of dialogue of who we're going to follow. Yeah. In it, he brings up that his arm feels numb, but it's it's basically thrown out, right? Like, mm -hmm. and then from there, we were introduced to the love interest character, mm -hmm. and we're, we're we just follow Shinji through. A little too curious about her, right? Yeah. In <laughs> in in this, his right arm suddenly like reaches out and starts touching her, yeah. and then ends in a very inappropriate place, which she freaks out about, and he's all like, "What's going on? Why did my arm just do that?" Like. Right. This is weird. And then we, we're just shown him throughout his day experiencing weird occurrences. He drops an eraser, he goes to reach for it, and his arm suddenly extends like Mr. Fantastic to grab it. Yeah. Um Plays in some basketball and suddenly he's just able to make a perfect shot from across the court. And you know, he's this is all really weirding him out. Um which then when he goes home, he does a Google search to see if he can locate what is going on. And then he sees an eye in his hand. And from here, so Miggy first transforms into something that reminded me of like the Graboid's tongue. It was kind of like, that's pretty cool. And honestly, like the CGI. Shota, or sorry, Shinichi tries poking at it with a knife. Right. And this is where I kind of realized the CGI in this movie is actually really good. good. Yeah, yeah. Like for so human skin study moments, but for the most part, it's not very distracting at all. Like the only uh -uh. there's maybe four brief shots that distracted me a little. But outside of that, it mostly looks fine. What shots are you referring to? I'm I'm curious. There's, there's like a couple shots near the end where it's it's during it in a couple like the action scenes near the end where the something just they looked I think it's I guess the lighting where it just looked out of place. I don't know. I don't quite know how to describe it. I just noticed it for a few brief seconds here and there. Okay. Interesting, interesting. Okay. So after the whole graboid tongue, suddenly Miggy turns into his its true form. Right. And I love how these two interact with each other and how they grow in the movie. You you would honestly think the way these two interact, they're like actually there. <laughs> the interactions that they have in the back and forth and, and all that in this movie is genius. Mm -hmm. So what we go through is 
Miggy basically explains, I was supposed to crawl in your brain, take over your body. I couldn't. I failed to do that. I ended up taking over your right arm, and I'm stuck here forever. Right. But first he just, he asks to be taught how, just taught everything he can. Because essentially these aliens, they don't have any memory. and They don't develop memory until after they've infected their host. So Mm -hmm. all of these aliens are essentially learning what the world is. Now they learn it far faster than humans can. Migi learns Japanese within a day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. God, I wish I had that superpower. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) Would be very helpful for research. It would be. It very much would be. But yeah, similarly, the other alien that we saw previously, the one that killed his wife, is essentially doing the same, watching the news to learn the Japanese language, essentially. And during this scene, we're giving a very haunting moment. Because while he's watching TV, he's changed into the TV caster's face. Mm-hmm. And... Suddenly the door opens and you hear the kids come home. <laughs> and if you look at his shirt, it's all bloodied and he changes back into the father. Right. And he says, welcome home. And as he walks away towards them, the camera just goes down a little bit. And you can see that the mother's headless body has been like splattered Devour. all over the floor. Mm-hmm. In bits and it's and pieces all over. And like, you know what he's about to do to the kids. It doesn't show that, but you know what he's going to do. Right. And it, it creates this sense of dread of like, oh boy, like this is, they're either going to walk in and see their mother dead and like splattered everywhere with dad with blood on his shirt. Or they're going to get eaten, which I don't know which is worse. Like, trauma for the rest of your life and eternity or dying? I mean, let's be honest. He's going to eat them either way. True. Um, I just – I thought that was really haunting how they did that. And the camera moves very slow during this scene. There's a lot of fixed shots, but this one's a very slow pan that I, I just – I loved it. I loved it. There's a lot of cool little subtle things in this movie that Yamazaki does that works very well. Mm-hmm. And then from – and what's really cool about this opening is you get kind of the the dual outlook on how things are going, right? Like mm-hmm. you're shown how humans live and how – Shinichi's working with Migi, and then you're shown how the parasites are living, and even the lighting, like the parasite lighting is darker, it's it's grittier, it's more natural. Whereas yeah, Shinichi brownish. Yes. Whereas Shinichi's scenes are brighter and more colorful and Lula full of especially. Mm-hmm. And it it does help create this sharp contrast of how things are and it it gives you the the feelings of okay this is good like 
there's some development here and then, oh, this is not good. This is scary. Mm -hmm. And that was really good. Like, that's that's very interesting. Right. But yeah, following this, we spend some more time with Migi. Migi essentially learning everything he can about humanity while whilst uh, Shinichi just tries to keep up with him. <laughs> right. Taking and him to see people fencing, people in archery competitions, all the sorts, setting up for a bit later in the film. Right, and that's something I do appreciate, is it feels like everything that Migi and Shinichi do in this movie has a reason. Right. This film is not... good set up and payoff. Yes, yes. And that's something I really appreciate is like everything Migi does, he uses. Mm -hmm. Like he learns about um, like monsters and that's something that, you know, becomes relevant. Um, He asks about why Shinji feels a certain way towards the love interest, which sets up the whole love story. Um, the fencing and the archery and the history. And one of the books is DNA on -hmm. that table. It's about DNA while they're at the library Mm -hmm. and DNA becomes kind of important towards the middle part of the movie where Miki has to know how the human body functions. (laughs) Um, Not that scene, but, uh, after that um but no everything migi asks like becomes important later on if not in this film probably in the, in the sequel right yeah and that's I'm, I'm interested to see where the second film takes things so i just i this film's writing is very good it's yeah. very solid and I, i'm just going to jump ahead and say this now the film does not wrap up 100%. No. It, the, the Western title is part one for a reason. Correct. Um, but even though it doesn't wrap up everything, I was left, when I first watched this, I was left very satisfied with the answers I had and the questions I had. Yeah. Um, I just, I felt like I had watched the full story and I was left wanting more. Yeah. So I I I'm, I'm jumping ahead a lot. So Rex, keep let's keep g- going here with with how this film proceeds. Mm-hmm. But yeah, following this, we we see Shinichi painting a woman, a certain woman in his art class. Of uh, I imagine Migi has taught him suddenly how to paint. I, I got the same I got the same vibes too. Like the reason he's painting so well is is Migi. Yeah. Yeah, this sort of sets this is partly setting up to some of the themes later into the film while also playing a little bit into the little bit of humor in the love in the love tri- uh not triangle. Just the romance plot of the film. Get get more comedy bits with <laughs> Migi and Shinichi, with Migi being very interested in what's down below. Right. And and honestly, <laughs> I love and and throughout the first part of this movie that we've established, there's a lot of like, I can cut you off, like I could just get rid of you. And 
but they don't. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because, you know, Shinji's given all these opportunities and throws out all of this stuff. And following this, we do get a little bit of Migi having that opportunity. And I love right. how they went about it because following this, isn't it the Chinese dinner sequence? Yeah, so during all of these scenes with Migi, it, they're kind of inter, intercut with some other parasites who will become important characters later just eating people. And this leads to us. This leads to Migi essentially. He's curious about the peop- about his own kind, so when he senses one in the vicinity, he essentially forces Shinichi to go and see them, leading them to a Chinese restaurant, where in which the owner has been infected by a parasite. And is eating somebody when they walk in. Yes. And the parasite does senses Migi. And it's like, oh, hey, welcome. Come on in. Like, perfect timing. And that's when we are finally explained what makes Migi and Shinichi so unique. Mm-hmm. And that's the fact that they are, it's not a, they're, Migi's not a parasite. And that's established here. So in nature, you have multiple types of relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh so there, there's four main types of relationships in nature. You have mutualism, where they both benefit. Commensualism, where one benefits and the other gets nothing out of it. Parasitism, which is one suffers and one benefits. And competition, which is, you know, both are fighting each other, right? Mm-hmm. So typically, the parasites are a parasitism relationship. It's in the name, right? Yeah. But Migi and Shinichi initially are just a commensualism relationship, meant to be a parasitism relationship, but in this sequence, they form a mutualism relationship, which is really cool to see that, and that's what makes them unique among all of the others that have been infected and have the parasites. Mm Mm-hmm. So the parasite eventually like figures out very quickly that it's just the right arm. Yeah. Which he then tempts the right arm to to join him <laughs> on his right arm. Yes. And we forgot to mention but Migi can't go out of the right arm. He can't leave the arm. He can, but if he does he he'll need another arm else he'll die right because he's essentially living off of shinichi's blood right and so it's it's an interesting thing because migi can't take over the body because it's migi's matured too much that that's where he resides and like that's where he that's the only way he can live is off of that right arm or he could do go to a left one technically. Um but he has to have an arm. He can no longer exist as a parasite, but as a mutual organism. 
in one host. And the parasite offers a place on his body and Mige clearly is considering considering. Yeah. But at the end, Mige decides not to. Mm -hmm. Which this is the turn. It's a turn for their, the relationship because this is where the mutualism relationship really is established. Mm -hmm. And it becomes one of the most interesting and dynamic parts of the film, getting to see them to work with each other now that they're done fighting with each other. Right. And here we get a little fight sequence. Um, Miggy uses the, the fencing that he saw to good use. And he actually says that, too. He's like, watching that close combat did work out. Yes. Which is the first of many things that are paid off that Miggy learned. Mm-hmm. So they get out of there. <laughs> I mean, they just killed somebody <laughs> and there's a dead yeah. corpse. So they had they have to get out of there. And they go back home. Mm-hmm. And from here, if I remember correctly, we just have some more back and forth. Mm-hmm. And Migi learning about stuff. And there's a little blow up between Shinichi and his mom here. Right. Which leads to Migi asking, why do you get upset? When your mother, when you look at your mother's arm and you see a burn, and that's where Shinichi explains that he almost got burned, but his mother saved him from getting burned, and he just he feels bad for that, right? Which all of the stuff about his mother becomes important later on in the plot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's also just a major theme and motif throughout the film. About arms? No, motherhood, essentially, and its relationship with humanity. I mean, essentially, from what I was reading in making this adaptation, when it came to writing it and figuring out which characters to include, there were some pretty notable, like, side characters, side characters who were essentially... Yamazaki had this idea of motherhood being a major theme in the film and any character, certain characters who didn't relate to that in or couldn't relate to that in any way were essentially cut from the film. Which I think ends up working for it because it does make, I mean, it just strengthens the script so much more. Right. It's a focused script, I'd say. And so from here, we we once once Migi and and Shinji get into his room. Besides the banter, they basically jump forward mm-hmm. to the next day, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we're also during this. We're also introduced to the detectives. This is true. One of which is played by the the man, the myth, the legend, Jun Kunimura. Which I was so happy to see him again. <laughs> he's always a great face to see in these movies. He is. Especially in this film where he's actually like a decent human being. 
Right, right. I've seen him in a fair few movies where he's a depraved, horrible person. <laughs> I, I When you brought up a decent person, I immediately thought of uh, Attack on Titan, the movie part two, where he's an absolute a-hole. Oh, God. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking of... Uh, I, was, I was thinking of... I was thinking of World of Kanako where, where he's a pedophile. I mean, that works too. <laughs> I, I, I guess so. I, I, I guess so. But yeah, he's a lot nicer in this, thankfully. He is. But yeah. Speaking of familiar faces, when we cut back to Shinichi, he, he's going to school and there's a presentation at school assembly where... The man uh, himself, Yukijiro Hotaru, makes an appearance as the school principal. Right. And so when I first watched this movie, and, and he's not in the credits. He's not in the credits. No. He's not on the IMDb. He's not on the Wikipedia. He's not even on the letterbox cast list. You have to know what he looks like to to be like, oh, that's him. Mm-hmm. And I, when I first watched this, I was like... I think I actually called you like I paused the movie and called you and I said, Rex, Rex, I think Yukujiro Hataru's in Parasite. No, I think you were like, who's who's that? Who's that guy from from th- those movies? And then you listed the movies or something like that because <laughs> you couldn't remember his name. I, that sounds about right. That sounds like something I would do. Like, I would have a brain fart and be like, I know who this is. Who is he? And, like, I'd have a whole breakdown. Um, so, typically, I do this at the end, but I'm going to do this now because he's not listed, but I, I, he was actually the first person I wrote down for the cast and the crew because I did <laughs> want to bring him up. So, right. Yukujiro Hitaru, who plays the school principal, was also in Norman England's The Idol on Mayuji. GMK, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters, All Out Attack. Zerom, mm-hmm. Zerom 2, Mechanical Violator, Hikaider, Gamera, Guardian of the Universe, Gamera 3, Revenge of Iris. He's also in Gamera 2. Briefly, very briefly in Gamera 2, Advent of Legion. Garo in the Garo Specials. Oh, he's in basically everything main, main Koga timeline Garo. He's in pretty much all of that. The Great Buddha Arrival, Nezra 1964, an episode or two of Ultraman Max, Raiga King, King, I'm trying to think of the subtitle that SRS gave Raiga, I don't remember. Or Raiga God of the Monsters? Raiga God of the Monsters, that's right. Uh, An episode of Neo Ultra Q. And he is in the upcoming film Hoshi 35 that ha- sees the return of Megumi Odaka to oh, that's films. right. He's in that. <laughs> so I just wanted to highlight him. It's unfortunate that he doesn't get any acknowledgement in this movie, but right. this is where we, we're going to acknowledge him. Yes. Because for as little as he's in the movie, he's awesome. He is. Because it's him. It is. It is. And he's, you know, it's the fact that you could, like, you see him, and you know it's him, (laughs) like, that makes that all the more better. Like, the fact that he's in it for maybe 
maybe three minutes a minute or two yeah and you know he's in it Mm -hmm. then again we might just be obsessive over him because look man he's a good actor and i've seen him in like 200 episodes of garo so like i think i should recognize the face see i've i'm still needing to watch ultraman max Neo Ultra Q and uh, Pyrokinesis. And then I just got to watch Garo and I've seen all of his tokusatsu appearances. Well, there's still Haunted School Free and like Mikazuki. That's true. That's true. If we're throwing in the J-horror as well, you are absolutely correct. Well, Mikazuki is not J-horror. Oh, that's true. That's that's just like straight up Kaiju Giant Mecha from Keita Amamiya. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, at least what's available in the States. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But do you want to explain why this meeting is so important? Mm-hmm. Yes. So essentially, Yukijiro Hotaru is introducing a new, a new teacher to the school. During this, Shinichi and, or, well... Migi senses that another parasite is near. And it is actually this new teacher, Tamika Ryoko, whom also senses them, and they have a <laughs> a pretty intense stare down. And then from here, it jumps to Shinji awkwardly following her to class. And... Then she's she says, like, it's okay, I know who you are. And then we get this pretty, like, suspenseful back and forth between them. Because Shinichi doesn't trust her, and Migi wants to learn from her. Mm-hmm. Because she has learned so much about humanity that she's just interesting to talk to because of how much she knows. She's intelligent. And right. Miki specifically highlights the fact that she has blended in with humanity very well. Yeah. Even retaining a bit of a personality. Right. Which is, it, it's very it's very interesting to see that. And then we get the problem that isn't really brought up in this movie as much per se, but it oh. it might pop up in the third one, and that's the... Second. Oh, yeah, the second one. Oh, my God. I don't know why I said third one. Uh, And that's the problem that superheroes have, which is significant others, because she specifically says your girlfriend's watching us. And at this point, if you notice, he doesn't fight it. He doesn't like tell tell her what Migi says. He's kind of started to embrace the fact that he has those feelings. Um, which I thought was an interesting character change. Um, Now, it is established, I believe, in this sequence or following this, that months have basically went by. Mm -hmm. That is one thing this movie doesn't do a good job about, and that's, like, establishing the time. Right. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's probably just... That's probably just something that's going to happen when you're adapting a rather 
long form story, you know, true, and so like worth into two like movies that are about two hours each, roughly. Right, but like the thing about it is, is like when so it could be established better, sure. It could be because I mean, all we have is day and night. Like that's all oh, we right. have, right? Um, but by the time that Migi and Shinji meet Ryoko, Migi says that months have passed, weeks and months have passed. Mm-hmm. And before that, all we have is Migi saying that he's learned the language in a day. Mm-hmm. So, like, how long from them floating to them infecting happened, we don't know. We don't know how long happened before Migi really showed themselves. We don't know, like, how long it took Migi to learn everything. We know it took him a day to learn Japanese. Mm -hmm. And then we just, you know, it's one of those things where this movie definitely has, I mean... By the end of it, it feels like a year has almost passed. Mm. Um, I don't know if I'd say it feels like that, but it, it that is kind of what the movie's trying to get at, I see. Right, because he he ends up going, I'm pretty sure he moves an entire grade up by the end of it. Um, because he's talking about how he's gonna be a senior next year. And the meeting we're in right now is him saying that this is your final year. I know it's scary, but you know, you've got this and I'm introducing a new teacher for the year while the other teachers out. Mm. So it kind of seems like the bookend of a year happened, summer happened, and now we're into a new year by the halfway point of the movie. And there's no like, concept of time during all of this now it would track because migi does say months have passed and if if a summer in japan for school is like a summer for america that's about three months and then like a month or two there so that's four to five months that could be enough time to fully like understand human society i I don't know but that is one thing that, like, you kind of have to, like, talk it out like I just did to figure out, okay, what are, like, what's the time frame here? What what are we looking at in this two hours? Like, mm-hmm. by the end of it, a whole year has basically passed. Mm-hmm. So it, it is one of those things that's a little maybe obnoxious to try and understand, like, how much time's passed to fully gauge the problem. Mm. But it's not the worst thing. Like, it's not something that ruins the film, obviously. Right. Now, one thing they do good and, like, they establish in time is Ryoku, Ryoko tells Shinji, after school, meet me, and we'll talk about things further. And then the film jumps to after school in an aquarium where they meet. Mm-hmm. Yes. And from here, we're introduced to a police officer who goes by the name Mr. A, 
and another high school student named Hideo Hideo Shimada. Shimada. Who just saying looks like Japanese gone you. <laughs> I don't know if you know who that is, but it was very distracting to me. He looked like Gong Yu. Let me. He looks familiar, and he doesn't Gong have Yu any. Is, you know, you know, Train to Busan. No, you don't know Train to Busan. I haven't seen it. Whatever. He's the main actor in that. He's also oh. in Squid Game. He does kind of look like him. Yes, they they look back practically identical. I thought they. I thought it was Gong Yu. <laughs> But during this whole aquarium scene, I do want I, I wrote in my notes that I love the lighting for uh, our eight, our parasites, Ryoko and and the other two, because mm-hmm. it it looks really good. Like it's kind of dark and, and demented, but also with that blue tone. Right. Kind of the blend of both the light and the dark, because it's obvious that A is not a good character. Whereas the other two might be trusted or trustable, mm-hmm. but Shinichi's not not taking any of it for granted, and he's basically feared, tripped into agreeing to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ryoko just blatantly threatens to kill his class if she, if like they aren't on at least peacefulish terms, right? And this is also where we're basically laid out like up until this point, it's kind of been this back and forth of like the parasite point of view and the human point of view. And it's been establishing a lot of the human point of view. But with Ryoko's monologue here, she establishes the the subplot of the aliens and their problem. It's a stat. So. In this back and forth, she tells Shinichi that her and A got intimate, mm-hmm. and now she's pregnant. And she asks Shinichi, what am I going to have? Am I going to have a parasite, or am I going to have a human? And this is where Migi pops in and says, well, you two are human hosts, so it's going to be a human. Mm-hmm. Because parasites do not... in they do not integrate with the DNA. They just integrate with the nervous system and everything in the brain. And this is sort of where that theme of what does it mean to be human really comes in. Right. Because then Ryoko says that they can't reproduce. They can only reproduce humans in human bodies and what is the meaning of their existence? Mm-hmm. Which does, it's it's an interesting question because, I mean, if you break down the main fundamentals of life, it's it's quite literally grow up, have kids, raise kids, die, repeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can't do that. They they can't do the basic fundamentals of what life technically is, right? Right. So what is life to them? What's their reason to be here? 
And I think that was an interesting question asked by them because it does kind of like, it does make you wonder like, and, and but Shinichi's very quick to establish the opposing view of, yes, you're reproducing humans. Yes, you can, I mean, you have to eat people, but you're still, you know, in human society. Yes. But you're still killing humans to survive. And mm-hmm. you're taking humans' brains away and using their bodies as these shells to exist in. Mm-hmm. Which is what we see next with Mr. Ray and Hideo eating various corpses. <laughs> so, and... and you know, I, I love the fact that they – and again, the time here is not established, but they also revealed they have a whole network Yeah, for just the parasites to blend in because they want to blend in with society. Mm-hmm. There's no plan to take over or anything like that. It's just they want to blend in and survive. Mm-hmm. But they are still seeing how far they can go. Right, there is something that's interesting about Ryoko is she is constantly experimenting. She's trying to figure everything out. She's very curious. She's asking questions all the time. Which is, it's it's interesting to watch her do that. That's a very humanistic thing to do. Establishing more of how she's the most in tune with the human species right which ends up you know causing some conflict between opposing views on how to go about everything but we don't see a whole lot of that yet Mm -hmm. following this you know shinichi's mother has a bit of a confrontation about him seemingly hiding something and you know it's where we established his, you know, his, what's what I'm looking for? His trauma? I guess his trauma, yeah, and just, I don't want to, I don't want to quite say regret, remorse, I guess, for his guilt, his guilt for being, believing himself responsible for, like, the burns on his mother's arms goes to school, continues painting, and this is where Migi realizes that the woman he was painting before is actually meant to be his mother. Leading Migi to question the relationship between humanity and specifically mothers. Why why do mothers do what they do? And that becomes more relevant because now we know that Ryoko is pregnant. Yes. We have Shinichi's mother. We have Shinichi's friend, girlfriend. Yeah. You know. Yeah, she's his girlfriend. Is it established like they are oh. a thing? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't, wasn't sure. It immediately clear early on, but later on it's pretty well established. I'd right, say. and later on she kind of tries to take that mother-ish role, like right her her motherly instincts 
kind of come out and that becomes more relevant in the following scenes after that that cause him to freak out but we'll talk about that Mm -hmm. so after this this is where we get to the next fight if i remember correctly right yeah shinichi and shinichi and migi and kana mr a has kind even though yoko kind of agreed to having a truce mr a doesn't necessarily see eye to eye with her values essentially hunting down Migi and Shinichi. And this leads them to Migi and Shinichi working together on plan A to beat him, which it's, it's revealed that Mr. A never expected Shinichi to fight back. He always expected it to be Migi, Mm -hmm. which led to this very triumphant ending where Shinichi stabs Mr. A with a pipe and they essentially win, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very triumphant seemingly moment. Seemingly killing him. Seemingly killing him. And it's said, Migi says, you never expected the host to fight back. Mm-hmm. Which begins this very interesting development of their character. This is like the next, the, the next big change because now Migi and Shinji are becoming one with each other. They're working with each other. Right. They're not fighting separately. They're not fighting each other. Now they're fighting together. Mm-hmm. And, but when Shinji stabs A, he bleeds red blood, which frightens Shinji because he, he realizes that he did just kill a human. Right. Now, real quick, I do want to say during the fight, there is this, the CGI fight has this thing where all of the motions are really, really, really fast. Yeah. And it's it's something that occurs throughout the film, which it's kind of like that typical fast CGI animation. And I mm-hmm. don't know if I really like that or if I find that a little weird. I don't know. I, I didn't really have a specific issue with it but like i also see what you mean (laughs) it's a little weird looking just a little so shinji and miki win and they run back to the house Mm -hmm. meanwhile shinichi's mother who'd gone grocery shopping encounters the body of mr ray whom is actually alive and takes over her body which this whole thing, when I first watched it, just like I, I, I didn't know how to feel. Like I was sh- shocked, and I felt awful for Shinichi. So as they're laying in bed, Shinichi and Miki, Miki feels one of their his kind approaching. So they go down, and they're they're prepping the fight. And this is honestly one of the most tear tear jerking moments in the film. The door opens, and it's Shinji's mom, but it's obvious there's something off-putting, right? Mm-hmm. And based off the last scene, it's obvious A has taken over. Yeah, which Miki is aware of. But Shinichi goes through the stage of doubt mm-hmm. of his grief because he doesn't want that to be true because he lost his dad in death. 
which is revealed earlier on in the film when Mike says that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of established as well that Shinichi doesn't have a lot have any friends really. He's kind of off to himself because of the grief and the doubt and all of that that he has. Which leads to him not really having a social life outside of his girlfriend and his mother, of who he was getting very temperamental with. Both of them, actually. Right. Um, and as he's regretting this, it's it. he finally realizes that his mother is gone. And A kills Shinichi. Yes, stabbing him through the heart. Which, when I watched that, I was like, wait, what? Like, they just killed their main character. Like, what? I I was gen I was shocked. I I didn't know what to think. And then we cut to the next day, and you know, Ryoko is is teaching, and she takes clear notice that Shinichi's not there. Mm-hmm. And then we cut back to Shinichi's corpse, and he gets up. Now, before Blood is we very sticky. <laughs> yes, and I love the dry blood effect. Like that's so cool. I love that. That was that was really well done. Right. And I love how it's still sticky on his face and like his shirt's all like That would have been nasty to clean up though. Like like especially the the blood in his hair. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, wholeheartedly. <laughs> that would have taken Agreed. days. Yeah. Um I just I thought that was so cool. I thought that was a great effect. And here we get the next bit of Mike and Shinichi working together mm-hmm. because it's revealed Mike went into Shinichi's body and used his cells to repair the damage mm-hmm. to save Shinichi's life. And and during this, Miki says, I did it because I would die. Which is kind of like that trope of like, okay, you're not willing to admit that you care, but you care. Yeah. Which is nice. Like, the development, like, is great. I love the development we're seeing here. But now Shinichi has to live with the fact he knows his mother's dead. Mm -hmm. And that is enough for him to want to seek vengeance. Right. Which leads him to meeting up with Ryoko again. Trying to threaten her, but she does not end up does not end up giving the information he wants, and it ends in a stalemate with them threatening each other. And from here, we we kind of get to see Shinji go through kind of this this pain. He's distancing himself from his girlfriend. He's depressed, and he's essentially just. All out for vengeance. Mm-hmm. Going on walks purely so that he can find his mother. And out on one of his walks, he walks in on a political campaign. Yes. So, Rex, I know that you're excited about this, so I'm going <laughs> to let you ex- describe this scene and explain why this is exciting for you and I. So, during this scene, 
he walks he walks upon a crowd listening to a political speech where we see the familiar face of Kazuki Kitamura, a Japanese actor known probably most well known to us for his role as the exilian leader in Godzilla Final Wars, the greatest film ever made, starring the greatest villain in the history of film and the greatest supporting actor in Don Fry. Who I've met twice. Shut up. And got photos with. Shut up. Who called me a redhead. (laughs) (laughs) His specific words were, another ginger? God, I gotta be careful. So many gingers seeing me today. (laughs) What? (laughs) You're not even ginger. I didn't say anything. I'm not going to tell Don Fry he's wrong. Like, he's going to punch me in the face and, like, break my jaw. Not even ginger. But, yeah, no. Um, anybody who has seen me, I'm, I'm very much a dirty blonde. I'm, I'm a dirty blonde. More blonde. I mean, sometimes you, you see a copper tint. If my hair's dry enough and I'm in the sun, there's a nice copper tint. You that sparkles. Inbred. Thanks. See, if you were ginger, you'd look inbred. Are all the gingers listening to the show going to hate you now? No, because they know it's true. So that's yes. Yes, they're going to hate you. Hey, I'm only speaking facts here. Most, a lot of gingers are inbred. Especially if they have a particular, like, eye color combination, then I'm pretty sure it's a borderline 100% chance of them being inbred. Okay. And I know Ginger with that exact eye color combination, so. Science with one Rex. It's a fact. Now, one thing interesting that's said, and this is specifically in the English dub, and this is kind of an ironic statement. Shinji says a monster running for political power is wrong. (laughs) And I, I... Part of me wants to think that line is supposed to be kind of meta. Obviously. But also, like, I don't know. The way it's said is kind of like, well, maybe he's doing a very literal, like, statement. Because not picking a side here, like, a lot of politicians are kind of awful. There's no way there was not obviously meant that was obviously meant to be a politically charged line (laughs) i feel like it had to be right like no way it wasn't but the way it's i don't know in the context it's like oh that's a that's bad against the human race but if he's saying that and that's still a thing then you know i don't know it just it seemed like Maybe that's what they were going for, but that didn't land. Absolutely what they're going for. But I don't think that landed in the best context because in the film, it sounds like he's saying that strictly for like actual like aliens and whatnot. When in all reality, like there are monsters in, in the old. Yeah. Lines in films can have lines can have double meanings. True. But I, I don't know. The double meaning feels a little 
it doesn't work as well when you take it for the metaphorical meaning that it that it's supposed to be. I don't know. I think you're overthinking this. Well, I think you're overthinking things. How am I overthinking things? By thinking. But I'm not. But keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Following this scene, he Shinichi is has an encounter with the detectives at his home. They ask him some questions about what he's doing with his life. And just seeing, do you know anything about some strange murders of a police officer recently? During all this the time, the detectives have been have noticed that something strange is up. A lot of the details on recent cases just do not make any sense. And they've even suggested enlisting the help of the people above them in their investigations. Right. Ultimate, ultimately, they leave Shinichi alone, and we cut to him back at school, where Hideo has now transferred. And what's interesting is, so Hideo's trying to fit in, and he interacts with Shinichi and his girlfriend, and Shinichi's not happy. He's not having this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a, a killer handshake. A very it's it's a shake off. <laughs> so much so that uh, Shinji's girlfriend has to step in and say, "Hold on, this is weird." How are you guys doing? Yeah, and and then Shinji, as Hideo's walking away, um, Shinji says, "I don't want you anywhere near him." And mm. then one of her friends comes and grabs her and says, did you meet the new hot guy? Mm -hmm. So it's establishing that he's already getting in with the other students, Mm -hmm. which is contributing to the problem of, you know, the parasites infiltrating and actually mingling in society. And this also leads – I feel like that statement – and the following shot is of Shinji clearly not happy, which makes me wonder if there's a little bit of jealousy as well with his character because of how well-liked this alien is compared to other humans in the, in the school. I mean I feel like the scene is more just estab- just – Subtly establishing the change in Shinichi's personality. That's this is true. Because following this, we're kind of not fo- like the exact follow-up to the scene, but more is revealed about what is going on with Shinichi internally. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Ryoko and Hideo meet up and discuss the fact that Shinichi's the handshake Shinichi gave was with his left left hand, and that was still that was very clearly the strength of Migi. So clearly, Migi and and Shinichi's bodies are becoming more alike now, following their fusion, like the following Migi's revival of him, essentially. Right. 
And from here, it goes to Hideo in the art room, if I remember correctly, right? <laughs> There's a little more discussion between the aliens and their politics, but yeah, essentially that's the next big sequence in the film. Oh, well, after, after Shinichi... Shinichi and his girlfriend go out to... Oh, that's right. This is right. Food. Yeah, because... Yeah, you're right. Get some food because she wants to cook him dinner. This and... is where her motherly love comes in. Kind of that right. motherish. Right. But then Shinichi, they spot a dog on the middle in the middle of a road. A puppy. Yes. Shinichi walks across the road to pick it up, but eventually when he gets back, they both realize it's dead. And he's become, and this scene goes to highlight how cold Shinichi's becoming as he just simply throws it in the, in the bin and refers to it as garbage, very much offending <laughs> his girlfriend. And then he even asks Miki, he's like, what did I do this time? And then Miki's like, well, you, literally just said what you said and he said that sounds like something you no Miki says that's something I would say and then yeah. Shinichi says I know very very bad idea on his end to to piss off Sadako I was wondering when you were going to say <laughs> that very very bad idea on his end he does not know what could happen but following this so he then says that she hates him, right? Right. But well, in in my sub, she said that I I thought I knew, you, but looks like that you're not the person I knew. Right. In in the prior scene to that, she also says that you are the same old Shinichi that I've always known, and then mm -hmm. she goes on to say that after the whole puppy thing. Yes. Because she can tell something's up with him. Yes. But he's not telling her. Because he's pushing her away. He's been doing that until Miki finally told Shinichi to let her cook because they hadn't eaten proper in a long time. Right. So following this, we go back to school. Where Shinichi's girlfriend and her friends are in art class. Meanwhile, Ryoko is also getting fired? Yeah. So, as established, Ryoko is pregnant, but she's not married. And in Japan, that's a big no-no. Ah, right. Okay. I wasn't entirely sure, but that makes sense now. Okay. She's, she's a teacher. She's supposed to be a role model, and she's not right. married, and right. that's taboo in japan to have a kid and not be married okay that that makes sense now i i wasn't in, i wasn't entirely sure on why she got fired but that makes sense and so because of that the school's afraid that she would be a bad role model so they go to fire her and mm -hmm. then she goes back to her place where her host's parents are and oddly enough the mother's able uh, the mother is yes. able to tell that she is not the same who, person who she actually is. Mm -hmm. And then she kills him. 
And then she kills both of them in, in cold blood. Yes. Giving their corpses as food to some of the others. And from here we go to the art scene. Mm-hmm. Which is actually really, really intense. So Hideo is is modeling as a model for them to draw. Yes. And all the girls are, you know, googly eyeing over him. And one of them is like, you are so good as a model, like you could be an alien from outer space. And right. in a couple of prior scenes, it was on established the in- that humanity had, there was some awareness of the parasites. Correct. Specifically, a way to identify them was if you pulled out someone's hair and it would, and it would start reacting. And Which, if it didn't, you would be safe. Mm-hmm. She pulls out a bit of Hideo's hair as a joke. This one girl who was friends with Shinichi's girlfriend. And, and it, it wiggles. Reacting. It wiggles. And then he says, oh, why did you do that? And <laughs> then he creepily starts counting one to eight of everybody in there. Mm-hmm. Which... I don't know why he was counting. Maybe he was counting how many bodies he would have to, like, you know, give them. Or if he was just counting how many people saw him. Mm-hmm. But it, it that, like, that count up adds suspense to what's following. They're all freaking out. One of them tries to escape, and, and Hideo grabs her by the foot with one of his appendages and throws her. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they're screaming and whatnot. And... His face opens up. And now it's like, well, this is the end. Mm-hmm. And he's... And at, at this point, it cuts to Shinji, who's hearing the screaming, specifically his girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And him and Miki run up there to locate what the problem is. Miki senses Hideo has murderous intent. And so they're scared to see what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then Which, when they get up to the floor that Hideo is on, they discover a ton of bodies. Right. But before this, Shinichi's girlfriend had the idea of throwing acid they used for the art. Right. On to Hideo, which actually helps. It works. Yeah. He is unable to return to his human form, essentially. Right. Now, granted, every like you said, when Shinji and, and Miki get up to that floor, everybody is slaughtered. Yeah. Like, it's a disturbing sight. And this oh, yeah, is where... missing their heads, missing various appendages and all of the sorts. Right. And this is where Shinji starts thinking that he's lost her, which would be the only other person in his life he cares about. Right. And his last interaction with her was the whole puppy situation. Mm-hmm. So that creates a makes him hyperventilate and have like an anxiety attack, which Miki has to like talk him down from. Mm-hmm. But this is where like he can't lose her, right? Like he's lost everything and she's all he has left. Mm -hmm. And once Miki talks him down, uh, they start looking 
which leads us to a little higher on the like a floor up on the school Mm -hmm. which this whole sequence gets pretty intense too yeah where Migi and and Shinichi fight uh, Hideo to protect his girlfriend who's right there she was hiding in a locker and Hideo discovers that she was in yeah, like she's about to be killed, and this is where she discovers that Shinichi is merged with one of them as well. Right, but what happens is so while they're fighting little bits, Ryoko, Ryoko appears and straight up tells Hideo that because she, he's jeopardized them, she's not going to help him, and she blows him up. <laughs> But not before uh, Shinji and his girlfriend can escape by jumping out the window, and she can escape as well. Yeah. And this is where Shinji's girlfriend 100% knows that he is not entirely human. Mm-hmm. I feel bad. We've been calling Satomi Shinji's girlfriend this whole time, and we've not been saying Satomi. <laughs> I'm going to start saying Satomi for the last few moments she's in this movie. Right. Yeah, she doesn't really do much from this point outside of being in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. but Hideo survived oh, yes. the explosion. Yes. But eventually, after the police fail, Shinichi and Migi, they, cut, they go on a rooftop with a pipe or something like that. Mm-hmm. And... For our payoff earlier, Migi forms a bow. The pipe is used as an arrow, and they shoot Hideo through headshot. the headshot. I thought it was a headshot. No, it wasn't a headshot. It might have been a hard shot. Yeah, yeah, it was a hard shot. And then once the police get there, they discover they're like, this had to be shot from that building over there. Right. And that just leads to more suspicion on what is going on here. Right. And from here, we kind of get a wrap up. Mm -hmm. We cut to the headquarters of where the parasites are living and we're shown footage we have seen before and we're hearing audio that we've heard before. Not yet. Not yet. That's a bit later. That's a bit later. Yes. First. Ryoko and Shinichi meet up one last time. That's right. With Ryoko discussing that she's going to be pregnant. They're probably not going to see each other for a little bit. And Shinichi asks, what are you going to do with the child? She says that she's going to use him for an experiment, her child for an experiment, which Shinichi is like, what the hell? But then she further elaborates on this by saying that she wants to understand what it means to be a mother, essentially. And parts by giving him the location of Mr. A. That's right. And from here, we follow Shinichi, who is supposed to go after Mr. A. But it was established earlier in the film that Migi has to spontaneously will just fall asleep for about four hours and can't be woken up. 
which this plays is... into the sequence where he falls asleep. But before he falls asleep, he forms into a sword-like appendage. Right. And the reason he has to fall asleep is when Miki... So to save Shinichi, Miki went into Shinichi's body and replaced the cells that had been damaged with his own cells. And that took out a lot of energy from Miki. So now Miki has to, like, regenerate that and restore his energy. So that's why he has these sleep spells. And because of those cells that save Shinichi, now Shinichi's been morphing into like this half-human, half-parasite. Right. I don't think we established that earlier, so I wanted to make sure we went back and, and clarified that. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he forms a sword, and this is actually a really, really, really cool fight because this is all Shinichi. This it's is no Miki. And K or A actually brings that up. He's like, how are you able to move that way? That's not a human motion. Mm -hmm. And they're fighting, but Shinichi, so A uses the tactic of morphing back into his mom and, and using that as like guilt bait, right? Yeah, to distract him. But when he tries to attack, seemingly Shinichi's mother comes in and uses a hand to deflect the attack, causing it to miss Shinichi and allowing him the chance to to survive, unfortunately having to kill her. Which is... So following this, Miki asks, like, how did you do it? And then you get a very heartfelt response of, my mom saved me again. Using her hand. And I'm pretty sure it's the same hand that had the burn. Right. So it just, it adds more to that. Like the, the whole hand burning question becomes paid off here at the end with her using the same hand to deflect what would have killed Shinichi and mm -hmm. giving him the chance to right. conclude the fight. Following this, Kazuki Kitamura, very justified, gets... Succeeds in his election, and the detectives also become involved with the high with a special forces organization, essentially de dealing with the current alien invasion. And that's when we essentially our narrative loops back around to the the montage and narration at the beginning, which was Ryoko. Which I love that. I love that. I love the fact that we started with the end, but it wasn't truly starting. Like a lot of movies, they'll show the final scene and then they'll go back and like a few years or a few hours prior or whatever and tell the story of how they got there. Right. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't do that. This just creates exposition out of the resolution which I think works out amazingly. I love that. I love that idea. I love that concept, and it works so well. Mm -hmm. and, final, and lastly, we are introduced to the main antagonist, seemingly, of the two films, Goto. Right. And in the buildup during all of this, 
for the next movie is great with Goto, the election, Tamiyama, and after all of this, Shinichi reveals that he has one goal in life, and that's to kill every single parasite that's out there. And he tells that to Miki, who clearly is unsettled by the idea of genocide against their race, right? Right. All the while, an unknown assailant photographs them in the distance, getting clear shots of Shota, or sorry, Shinichi with Miki transformed. And this is just great. And then from here, it cuts to the credits with a great song. The song is played by the band Parade, uh, Bump of Chicken. And the yes. song's named Parade. And I lo- this is a bopper. Like, this is a great song. This was handpicked by... The group was handpicked by Yamazaki to do this song for the movie. Hmm. And then after the credits, you get a little trailer for part two. Right, which, I mean, <laughs> obviously the trailer was done, and it's it's a great post credit scene, I guess, to hype up the sequel because all you need is, is the trailer. Because for yeah. me, by this point, I have so many questions about who Goto is and what happens from the election and Tamiyama's who kid, was. who the assailant was. Will Shinji succeed in killing off all the parasites? What's up with Satomi? You know, what, like, what's going to happen here? I had so many questions, but the story also felt resolved in a way. The ending, the stingers in the last 10 minutes create a great layout. It works because the, the emotion, the thematic, is it? I feel like it without the scene with him finishing off Mr. A slash his mother, it without that the film would not work. That's I agree. That that scene makes the film feel complete in spite of ending on a cliffhanger. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. It it feels concluded because his mission in this movie is concluded by all means. Yeah. He did what he wanted to do, and now he has a new mission. Next mission. Mm-hmm. And that was Parasite Part 1. <sighs> and I, I really like this movie. I really do. When I watched this, I was like, I can't wait to watch the sequel. Like, this is great. Like, I understand why people love this movie. This is probably my... F- I'd have to... Like, I'd have to place them all. But this is probably one of my favorite live action adaptations of an anime. Right. It's it's a it's a very solid film. Mm-hmm. And I like I, I can't wait for the sequel. Like I couldn't I've seen the sequel, of course, but I like mm-hmm. after this I was like, I gotta watch the sequel now. Like I'm <laughs> staying up to watch this second movie. I wanna see what happens. Right, yeah. So I really enjoy this movie, and I think because we've actually almost talked about this movie for two hours or almost. Yeah, two hours like that just goes to show like we've I at least I like this movie a lot and I love I love talking about it. Hmm. Oh, I'm excited to see this. The second film. 
I'm very curious to see where where a lot of the what's been established will go. I'm very interested to see more of Kazuki Kitamura in the politics, of course. <laughs> right. So before we, I, I feel like we've talked so much that our final thoughts are going to be pretty simple and quick. So before we go into that, do you want me to give you a rundown of the cast and crew of this movie? Go ahead. So I'm going to start with our cast and wrap back around to our crew. Um, I've already brought up Yukajiro uh, Hotaru, so I'm going to skip him and go to uh, Shota Sumitani, who plays Shinichi. He also was in Parasite Part 2, obviously. Takashi no. Miike's As the Gods Will. Uh, Takashi Yamazaki's The Eternal Zero. He was in Jellyfish Eyes. He, too, was in Sadako 3D. Yes. He was in Always Sunset on 3rd Street 64, the third film. Oh. Funny enough, he was in Devil Man. <laughs> he was in Pretty First... in Devil Man. Um, I'd have to go back and look. I think he's one of those. Oh, I think I think he he's Susumu. I'm trying to. Oh, he might be the little kid. He might be like the little kid that. What's her name? Miki, the little kid who's like dad, like was a devil, or his mother right. was. A devil. Both of them were devils. Now, what's interesting is Devil Man kind of follows a similar thing. Um, that parasite does in a way. Well, with like demons essentially like slowly becoming more ingrained in humanity of sorts. Right. So, but no, that he's pretty young. Like the fact that he was a child actor, uh, just ten years prior, like that. That kind of shows you how young he is. Right. Um. As oh my for, god! I just realized. You know who is? You know who his wife is? Who? Rinko Kikuchi. Marco from Pacific Rim. No, no, no way. No way. Yeah. Yes. They have two kids. Apparently. According married, to IMDb. Married since 2000. Oh my God. Yeah. Ain't that crazy? I didn't know that. That's actually really interesting. That's actually really cool, too. Um, but <laughs> continuing on with our cast, Ryoko Tamiyama is played by Iri Fukus, Fuka, Fukatsu, Fukatsu, who yes. the only the only uh, tokusatsu credit I could find is Parasite Part 2 for her. Mm. Um, she, was she was in a Kaneko film, though. Correct. She was. She was in... Uh, 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 Vacation 1999. Yes. For Satomi Murano, you had Ai Hashimoto, who was in Parasite Part 2, as obviously. Sadako 3D, as she played Sadako. Pre-established the live-action adaptation of an anime named Another, and then was also in the Ultraman Gaia special, Once Again Gaia. Of course, the aforementioned Kazuki Kitamura, who plays Takashi Hirokawa, is in this Mm -hmm. movie. He was in Andromeda, Dead or Alive, Azumi, Sky High, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, Godzilla, Final Wars, Azumi 2, mm-hmm. Death or Love, Space Battleship Yamato, he reappeared in Parasite Part 2, Blade of the Immortal, and most recently in Takashi Miike's The Great Yokai War 2 Guardians. 
That's right. You had as Hideo Shimada, Masahiro Hagishida, who was also uh, who reappeared in Parasite Part Two briefly. Um, that was the only credit I had for him. Mm-hmm. For Goto, who barely appears in this new generation. Correct. The uh, that's a live action television miniseries, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. I think I know it's directed by Shinsuke Sato and has like uh, Sosuke Ikematsu from Shin Kamen Rider. That's about all I know. Fair enough. Um, you had Tano Tanobo Asano who plays Goto, who was in Love and Pop, the Hideaki Anno movie. Gemini, the Shinya Tsukamoto movie, Electric Dragon, 8,000 Volts, Itchy the Killer, Vital, the J-Horror Shinya Tsukamoto movie, Funky Forest, Tokyo Zombie. He played one of the Warriors 3 in the Thor trilogy. He was in Ryue Kitamura's Lupin the Third adaptation, Parasite He's Part... He's a bunch of beat Takeshi movies. Mm-hmm. He reappears in Parasite Part 2 and also plays Ronin in Mortal Kombat. Wait, Ronan or Raiden? Raiden, sorry, Raiden. <laughs> That's right. He he did play Raiden in, in that movie. Continuing on with our cast, Jun Kenimura, playing Detective Hirama, was in Submersion of Japan, Audition, Itchy the Killer, Tomie, Forbidden Fruit, Alive, Samurai <laughs> Resurrection, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, Vital, Godzilla, Final Wars, Sinking of Japan, Hidden Fortress, The Last Princess, K-20, Legend of the Mask, Attack on Titan, the movie Part 1, Attack on Titan, the movie Part 2, Shin Godzilla, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Adventure, Diamond is Unbreakable, Chapter 1, The Great War of Archimedes, Mm -hmm. and Full Metal Alchemist, the live-action adaptation that's on Netflix. He was also in the Japan Sinks Netflix TV show. Correct. Uragami was played by Hirofumi Arei, who was in The Eternal Zero, Parasite Part 2, and Gintama. Miki was played by Pirari Taki, who was in Red Shadow, Ten Nights of Dreams, Attack on Titan, the movie Part 1, and Shin Godzilla. Miki's voice actor was Sadeo Abe, who was in Uzumaki, the Great Yokai War, Ten Nights of Dreams, Yatterman, and re and played the character of Miggy again for Parasite Part Two. A was played by Mansuku Ikikuchi. I probably said his name wrong. He was in Common Writer Decade and Ring the Final Chapter. Ooh. Kosuki Toihara, who played an unnamed character, was in Godzilla vs. Biollante. Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. Uh, his and name Bio- is Okay, thank you. I couldn't he find his name on the film. credits. He, he was named in the film. Okay. And Bioplanet Wu. Shinichi's mother was played by Kimiko Yo, who was in Shinya Tsukamoto's Hiroku the Goblin, Evil Dead Trap 3, Broken Love, Broken Love Killer, Haunted School, Sion Sono's Suicide Club, and Ooh. most recently in Shin Godzilla. Kiramori was played by Neo Amori, who played Ichi in Ichi the Killer and One Minus Ichi. He was in. And Spider Augment in Shin Kamen Rider. Correct. And then appeared in the 
other Takashi uh, Miike films, First Love and The Great Yokai War 2 Guardians. Hmm. And then moving on to our crew, Nakoe Sato, composer, did the music for all three Always Sunset on Third Street movies. K-20, Space Battleship Yamato, The Eternal Zero, Stand By Me, Doraemon 1 and 2, Assassination Classroom 1 and 2, Parasite Part 2, The Great War of Archimedes, and Ghost Book most recently. Mm -hmm. Your producers, Takahiro Sato, who produced Death Note, Light Up the New World, Parasite Part 2, Gantz Perfect Answer, Gantz, Yatterman, Death Note, The Last Name, and Death Note. Kechiro Moriya, the other producer, who worked on Parasite Part 2, Stand By Me, Doraemon 1 and 2, The Eternal Zero, and Always Sunset on 3rd Street. And then as for your writer, Ryota Kosawa, he also wrote Parasite Part 2 and all three Always Sunset on 3rd Street movies. Huh. No wonder the writing's so good. <laughs> I, exactly. I, I when I was saying that earlier, I was like, "Man, this is this is why this movie is written so well." Um, I really wish I could watch. Need to watch Always Sunset too, man. It's so good. I'm sure it is. It's so good, man. So with that, I think we should go ahead and do our final thoughts and then our ranking for this week. And then wrap it up. Alrighty. So, Rex, I'm going to let you start off, and I'm going to see what I can say based off what you say. Hmm. Well, Parasite is just simply, I quite enjoyed it as a nice sci-fi body horror film. It's pretty, it's pretty well directed, as always with Yamazaki from what I've seen. It's the effects are, you know, for a Japanese film, pretty good, pretty good. The acting is pretty good. Writing all around, as we've established, is quite good for the most part. It, there's some interesting themes around, you know, what it means to be human. And I'm just very curious to see where it'll all go in the second film. Okay. Um, I can't really, so I, I don't think I could really add much to that, to be honest. Um, like I, I've been just cocking my head off for the last two and a half (laughs) hours about this movie. Um, this is really good. Um, this is really, really good. I like this movie a lot. Um, I mean, just based off of the stuff on this and last, last week I asked this question as well. And I'll answer it, and then I'm going to hand it back to you to answer it, and then you can do your ranking. Um, This movie especially makes me feel very comfortable with Yamazaki doing a Godzilla movie because this one is politically charged. It has Mm -hmm. very interesting human characters. The CGI is really good, Mm -hmm. and overall, like, this film just – its story is so well done. I love it. Like – it, I, th- it's, I think I gained my confidence, my full confidence, when I watched Always Sunset too. <laughs> and I like, I I wish I could watch that movie. Like the writer of those is who did this, and that just adds so much confidence to me that like, there's there's a lot to be done and a lot to be said with Yamazaki's work. Oh, definitely. 
and yeah, it, it is a shame you can't watch Always Sunset too. Like genuinely, I I, I want to. It, it's unfortunate that I only have access to four of his films. So you know, I I'm I'm very hopeful for this for Godzilla minus one. I love this movie. I I really think this is a very good movie. Um, mm. And honestly, talking okay. it over with you more just made me like more excited to to watch it. Right. So, where do you think this would go in your ranking? I think it's a little obvious where this is going to go on my ranking. Um, mm. I I don't think there's like there is not a single way that this movie could compete with with or there's no way this movie is inferior to returner right like returner cannot compete with this movie i'm sorry there's just there's no way there is absolutely no way i mean i feel returner is enjoyable in a different way to parasite it's it's not as strongly written it's mm-hmm. just like a fun sci-fi film sci-fi action film right and and you're you are not wrong there I, like i feel return as biggest flaw is probably that it's a bit too derivative right which is part of the fun of it but at the same time it's hard to really call it an original film in spite of it being essentially it's not based on any pre-existing ip Whereas right. Parasite is an adaptation, so it's already a pre-existing IP. Right. And but, you know, yeah. you're you're not wrong. Like I I'd, I'd have to agree with you though, that Parasite Part One is so far the best Yamazaki film out of the two that we've watched this month. Now you can uh attest to this a little bit better than I can. So I, I'm, I kind of want to hear your thoughts. Mm-hmm. You have also seen two of the always sunset movies, correct? Yes. And that's, that's all you've seen so far to my understanding outside of returner and parasite. Correct. Where would you put those mm. as well? You see, so far, I would probably put the first Always Sunset in between Parasite Part 1 and Returner. But the second film, I would put straight to the top. I I think that's a fantastic film. I I think it's Yamazaki's best film. Like... I'm not the type to get very emotional from, like, just... I don't typically get super emotional when watching movies, but Always Sunset 2 hit me with two massive gut punches in the middle of a movie and then delivered a very, very satisfying ending to an ongoing relation character relationship from the first film hmm. which is why i have 100 percent faith in yamazaki's human characters for godzilla minus one 
Right. And that's something that like, I feel like as we continue, it's getting more and more obvious. The human characters for this movie. I feel like there's no way that they're going to fail as mm-hmm. characters. They'll, at, at the absolute worst, they will be decently interesting, I feel. Right. Like, I, I don't see them in being in the lower echelon of Godzilla movie cast. I, I, think, I think we've got at least a pretty a chance we're seeing probably a pretty good cast, likely. And I hope, I hope we get an official announcement soon of the actors. Me too. Real quick, I just found Sakura out The Great Ando, War... Please. Huh? Sakura Ando, please. I, I... Okay, so if we're going based off of... I would love to see Jun Kitamura come back. Mm-hmm. I would love knowing that uh, Kitamura has done a handful of Yamazaki films. I'd love yeah, to see him I come back. Kitamura. I so you and I both unironically like or love Final Wars. Yes. It is the greatest film ever made. I would love to see some of those actors come back. Oh, 100%. I would love to see hell, I'd love to see the whole cast come back. <laughs> likewise, likewise. <laughs> um Speaking of cast and Jun Kinemura, I just found out the Great War of Archimedes is available on Blu-ray in the States. Oh. So I'm going to have to watch that. <laughs> because ah, I'm like this interests me so much. <laughs> oh, I can't believe it. Oh, I'm gonna is this oh no I'm not signed in. Okay, I'm gonna it's only fifteen bucks on Amazon for on oh, Blu-ray. Using your money. <laughs> every every episode now, I'm basically finding a way to spend money. Jesus. But unfortunately it looks like <clears throat> it looks like that that's the only Yamazaki film I don't have. That, uh, is available. Damn. So wait, what you're saying is we didn't actually need a bonus. We could have, we could have just had five Yamazaki films this month. Uh, Yeah. But you know, it's never too late. It's never too late. Yeah, failure. Honestly. Maybe we do a double bonus, a double, a double trouble weak you're a failure man i you know we could always do it in september that's so true but will we that's the question that is true we will have to figure that out (laughs) yeah no like you said i would love to see like some of the cast members of yamazaki's previous films appear and obviously having some of the Final Wars cast would just make things even better. Like, I would, I know there was some rumblings ages back, like a year or two back, of Hidetaka Yoshioka, who is one of the main characters in the Always Sunset trilogy. There were rumors of him being seen on the set of Minus One, and that would be pretty exciting. It would be even better if we got Shinichi Tsutsumi from the Always Sunset trilogy back as well. 
But yeah, no, I'm very excited for minus one following <laughs> these Yusaki films that I've seen now. And we'll we'll wait and see. We'll see what happens. Um, I I'm excited for this, and I I can't wait to see where where it goes from here. So I can't wait to cover Parasite Part Two if we do. Um, Ooh, I wonder. No, I'm I I love this movie, and this is great. I I would highly recommend this to anybody who's a fan of horror. J horror science fiction alien invasion movies Takashi Yamazaki and maybe I would say kaiju fans might get something out of this mm-hmm. I'd like to think it's, so it's it's got the kaiju fan appeal because the director yeah so anybody who hasn't already yeah. go go track down parasite part 1 on blu-ray dvd and digital and watch it prep Join us in prepping for for Godzilla minus one and enjoying Kaiju and enjoying Takashi Yamazaki and his vault of masterpieces. Well, with that, I think we've we've gushed about this movie for for long enough. I'm going to go ahead and say, Rex, why don't you tell the lovely listeners at home where they can find you? Well, dear listeners, you can find me on YouTube at Rexino, on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomorph, and on Instagram, Rex underscore Xeno. And if you want to check out some of my writing, go take a look at the Tokusatsu Network. And as for me, hello, my name's Elijah. You can find me on YouTube at ET13 Productions. You can go check out my most recent short film, SOS Seek Shelter, now streaming on YouTube. Uh, I definitely ch- recommend it. And afterwards, go check out Kaiju Ramen Media, where I have I, I was interviewed, and I go into great lengths talking about the production of that film and all the metaphor- metaphorical things I think you can get from it. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter, X, whatever you want to call that one place where a bird used to live. Um, at ET13 Productions. If you want to check out my writing, go to kaijuramenmedia.com. You can order any of the issues the magazine has to show off, and you can find some of my writing. I've also written some articles. I am proud to say I was the first English writer to publish an article on the internet about Takashi Yamazaki's Godzilla Minus One when it was first revealed. So... I will take that and wear that badge with pride. Um, beyond that, if you want to help support the podcast, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't actually. I do. That's very much a lie. I use a MacBook liar. to do this podcast. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I know, but I'm not lying when I say you can rate us on Spotify. That's a new option Spotify has. We currently have six reviews at five stars. It's highly appreciated. Thank you guys so much. Please keep the love coming. We're sitting at a 3.1 on Apple Podcasts. So if we could have those six people hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review, that would be greatly appreciated. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, follow us on Twitter or X, 
whatever you want to call it, at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have original artwork on there. But until then, you can sport our awesome logo on a T-shirt or maybe even a coffee mug. If you'd like to chat with us, check out our Discord server full of others that have similar interests to you. Recently, we had a discussion in our chat about... It looks like they're talking about... The most recent announcement of the Kaiju number no. 8 anime and somebody watching GM- GMK for the first time. It's a great community full of great people. Highly recommend it. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be not- notified anytime we upload a video. We sometimes post exclusives to the channel like bloopers for episodes or minisodes talking about news or other subjects. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kurchevsky on the channel. I probably butchered his name. I apologize. And a huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. His links can be found in the description below. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter or X. At Danzilla93 underscore GNP, or visit his website, Godzilla Novelization Project.com. And a huge thanks to Gratton Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter or X at Giant Monster BS or on any podcast platform under the name Giant Monster BS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. So thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set. We are in debt. There's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Too now.